0: To relationships? Uh, I guess I'm looking for a guy who's like open and mature and honest and values family. What about you? You, what are you looking for? I actually have a lot of family values. I feel like, uh, you know, family is the most important thing in life. I want a really big family someday. Uh, I'm so sorry. Take- yeah, can <laughs> I take it? A- Hello? Yeah. Yeah, mom, mom, I really can't talk right now. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I gotta go, I gotta go. Okay, I'm hanging up, okay. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. So yeah, what were we saying? Yeah, family values. So, you know, I, I feel like family is the most important thing. Actually, it's not the most important thing, but it's it's up there. God is also very important, you know, it's probably the number one. Uh, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Hello? Mom? Hey. Hey mom, do you remember when you called me? Yeah, it was like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm actually on a date right now. Yeah, it's going really well actually. Okay, listen, I gotta go. I can't talk. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Bye. (laughs) You and your mom sound really close. Uh, Do you live at home? I actually do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So again, family values, you know, I want it to be really close to home as in like live at home. Yeah. So. That's great. Yeah. Oh,
1: well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to part three in a series called Wander Lost, where every week in this series, I'm starting off with the same question. And it's a question that There's no shortage of answers when I throw out this question to you, and that question is, what do you want? And every week we're sitting here asking the question of what is it that you want in life, and what we realize is that this question, which seems on the surface pretty easy to answer, what do you want, we have a long list of things, what we realize is this question's a little trickier than it sounds. Because while on the surface we all know what we want, at least we think we know what we want, We've all been in this situation where we've gotten what we want and then later said, I didn't really want it after all. Some of us have gotten who we want and then later gone back and said, we wish we didn't get that. We got the job we wanted. We got the car we wanted. We got the house we wanted. We got whatever it is that we wanted. And then you know, a week later, a year later, 32 payments later, you start to realize, you know what? Maybe I didn't really want this thing after all. And what we talked about over the past couple weeks is the better question than what do you want. The better question is, what do you value? Because we agreed that there's stuff that we want and there's stuff that we value. And sometimes the stuff that we value is being undermined by the stuff that we want. For example, I want a home. I'm sorry, I value a good godly home, but I really want that job. Well, maybe that job, which is what I want, is undermining what I value, which is a home and a balanced life. I really value a marriage, to be married to a guy or a girl 50, 60, 70, 80 years for the rest of my life and be together and trust and pray together and share the word of God together. That's what I value, but what I want is a date with him or a date with her on this Friday night to solve my loneliness. So sometimes what we value is being shot in the foot and undermined by what we want. That's why this question is a little tricky. So many of us know what it's like to spend our lives fighting for things, fighting for money, fighting for power, fighting for position, fighting for certain relationships, for fighting, fighting, fighting. And then we get them and then we realized it wasn't as valuable as we might realize. And that's or what we had hoped. And that's what the series is all about. That's what Wander Lost is all about. It's about taking time to make sure that I'm not just climbing the ladder faster. I'm not just going faster on the treadmill, but I make sure that I'm going in the right direction. And many of us are going 100 miles an hour. And that's, that's understood. Like that's the nature of the world, especially in the DC metropolitan area. We go 100 miles an hour everywhere we go. 100 miles an hour's career, 100 miles an hour and everything. We go 100 miles an hour. Well, I just want to make sure that I every now and then stop and say, am I going the right direction? Because you don't want to be the guy who's the fastest one to climb the wrong ladder. The psalmist. Says it this way in Psalm 39, verse 4. He says, "Lord, make me to know the end. Make me to know my end. And what is the measure of my days?" That's what this series is all about. It's taking a little bit of time to pull over on the side of the road and just say, "Hey, before I go pedal to the metal, am I going in the direction not even that God wants? But am I going in the direction that I want? Like, am I going in the direction that I value? Am I climbing? I'm climbing. I'm climbing. I'm getting to the top. I'm at the top of the ladder. But wait a minute." I was trying to climb that wall, not this wall. That's what this series is all about. And that's what we're looking at together. I was reading an article this past week about the difference, many of you guys, you guys are smarter than me, you all know this stuff. The difference between a manager and a leader, a manager and a leader. A manager is somebody who wants to do things right. Do things right. A leader is somebody who wants to do the right thing. A manager asks, how can I best accomplish this task? A leader asks, what's the best task for me to accomplish? So the goal of this series is not just to manage our lives. What's the best way to accomplish this? The goal of this series is to lead our lives and to say, what are the best things that I should invest the rest of my life in accomplishing? That's what we're looking at together. And like I said, in theory, it should be easy. But what we learned last week is that while it may seem easy on the surface, what we learned is that what we want naturally is often in conflict with what we want ultimately. What we want naturally, what we want today, here, now, what my nature says, I want this, is often in conflict with what we want ultimately. And if you don't believe me, you can go to my car and you can see an empty bag of chocolate-covered blueberries that will prove it. That what we want naturally is in conflict with what we want ultimately. St. Paul said it this way. We talked about this verse last week in Romans 7:15. So this could be a life verse. This could be a theme verse for many of our lives. He said, What I am doing, I do not understand. What I'm doing, I don't understand. Because the things that I will to do, I don't do, and things that I hate to do, those are the things that I practice. I don't understand what in the world I'm doing. What he's saying is, I understand what you're saying, Father Anthony. I understand the distinction. This is what I value, this is what I want. I understand that this is long-term, this is short-term, and I say, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life for this value. But then I end up doing the want. And I can see the difference between the two. And I know exactly, like I said, the chocolate-covered blueberries tell the whole story. I know, I value, be healthy. But what I want, is more blueberry chocolate. And St. Paul put to words a conflict which is in all of us, okay, which is due to our fallen nature. Okay, St. Paul said, that's sin that dwells in us, which is that Why can't I stop? Fill in the blank. Why can't I just start? Fill in the blank. Why can't I let go of? Or why can't I hold on to? Or why can't? And then you ask these same questions that I ask on a daily basis. And St. Paul says, there's more underneath the surface than meets the eye. There's something inside called sin, which has messed up the waters. The waters are muddy now, which causes us to do that which we don't want to do. And that which we do want to do, we don't do. That is the nature of man. But what we also said last week is that there's good news. And the good news is that the only way, if all of us have this sickness, if all of us have this sickness as man, mankind have this sickness, and the only way to solve it is somebody needs to come who doesn't have the sickness. And thanks be to God, God sent his only begotten son, took flesh, Jesus Christ, What a wonderful name it is. Like we sang in that beautiful song in the beginning, what a beautiful name it is. And he came and he took our nature. He became man just like us. And he lifted all of us and our nature and gave us a new nature. And I liken this in case you try to say, this is complicated to understand. Think about it this way. Think about as you live your whole life and you're poor and you live in the street and you have a certain natural, a normal and your normal is beg for food. this This is the normal for you. Then all of a sudden, your brother or your sister marries someone in the royal family. Then all of a sudden, you have royalty in your family. So now you have the potential for a new normal. You have the potential for a new natural. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus became man, he gave us the opportunity to live a new normal because now somebody who is like me lived this kind of life, this royal life, and now I have the opportunity as well. And what that looks like, Romans chapter 8, 14, this is the verse we saw last week. St. Paul says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. St. Paul says it very clearly right here. We want to live this above natural life because what I naturally want is in conflict with what I ultimately want. So I need a new natural. I need to, a, a, a new operating system. Think about it. this operating system has become corrupt. I need a new operating system by which to make decisions in life. And what St. Paul says is, to be this new operating system, this new natural sons and daughters of God, the key is you are led by the spirit of God. You are led by the spirit of God. That's what Jesus did. When he came and became man, he opened the door for God to dwell in me, spirit of God dwell in me. So now here's the million dollar question which we're gonna answer today. I said before, what do you want? We said that question is junk. I said, what do you value? That's a better question. But you know the best question of all? The real question we need to answer is what does God want? What does God really want? And that's the only question that really we need to dig into today. As soon as I say, what does God want? I believe there's some people in this room that turn off. I say, what does God want? And you automatically, watch this, you automatically assume it's contrary to what you want. Don't you? I say, we're going to talk about what does God want. And you say, uh, you automatically assume that what he wants stinks. And what he wants is going to ruin my life. And what he wants is going to be at odds with what I want. I say, what does God want from your life? And you have this picture in your mind. God wants me miserable. God wants me lonely. God wants me to pray all day, fast all day, read the Bible all day, wipe that smile off your face and go to church. That's what God wants in my life. And we have this idea in our mind that if God truly had his way with us, if God truly had his way with us, we'd all be miserable, miserable people. My question, when did God's will become synonymous With ruining your life. When did God's will. Become synonymous. With misery. I acknowledge. Okay I'll make a concession. And you make a concession right back. I'll make a concession. And I'll acknowledge. That there are people in this room. That the thought of God's will scares them. And the reason why is a valid reason. I'll acknowledge that. Because somebody has abused. God's will in your life. Maybe a parent. Maybe a preacher dressed like me. Maybe your, your own fallen conscience, whatever it may be. Like something in your mind says that God's will wants you to be a doormat or to be abused or to just go back and say sorry and, and suck it up. Something in your mind says, so I will acknowledge that there are times where I say God's will and that brings a lot of people, a lot of stress and anxiety. I'll acknowledge that. We'll address that. But I want you to acknowledge that sometimes the problem is not on God's end. It's on your end. I want you to acknowledge that maybe you're assuming God's will means something that it doesn't necessarily mean. And I say what God wants for your life and you are putting some kind of label on what God wants for your life that may be not true. Because here's our key thought for today that I'm spend the rest of the time trying to break this down. I believe this with all of my heart. What you really want and what God really wants are closer than you think what you really want, not what you want, what you really want and what God really wants are a lot closer than you think. Let me ask you the question. Okay, before I gave you the the bad example, what would life look like truly if I truly surrendered my life 100% to God? What would my life look like if I made no decisions? God made every decision for me. I had no free will. Of course, God will never, ever do this. But let's say God were to override my free will. So I was unable to make any decisions for myself. Every decision I made was exactly what God would want me to do. What would be the fruit of that? Well, passage we looked at last week, St. Paul's gonna tell us, the fruit of the spirit is gonna tell us right now. If you had no free will and God completely took control of your life, Here's what he says. The fruit of the spirit would be hate, sorrow, fear, frustration, meanness, badness, despair, unkindness, and slavery to all your desires. Ha, proved it. See, I knew if I let go and let God lead my life, all those bad things would happen. Is that what it actually says? St. Paul is the exact opposite. It says, if you 100% had no will and God's will, one hundred percent. and You did exactly what God wanted. Let's see the real list. Galatians five twenty two. If God had full reign over your life, God had full reign. It would be love. I want that. It would be joy. Wouldn't argue there. Peace, long suffering, mean patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Does anybody look at that list and say, no, nah, nah, I don't want any of that stuff. Nah, 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 nah. I want to get married. I don't want love. I want to get married. I don't want joy. I want children. Does anybody look at that list and say, no, 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 give me the good stuff, God. We think back to this first list that if I go with God, I'm gonna have all this miserable stuff. Well, I'm telling you, I don't want that. You don't want that. And God don't want that either. What you want and what I want and what God wants is this list. love, joy peace and rest on down the list. I'll be honest with you. I'll stop at love, joy, peace. Let's just talk about love, joy, peace. Let's just say, like, let's get rid of two thirds of the fruit of the spirit. Let's get rid of the last six. Let's just go with the first three, love, joy, peace. Every problem in your life would be solved by love, joy, peace. Every problem in your life, every problem that I hear about on a day-to-day basis will be solved by love, joy, peace. If I had love, joy, peace, and my family had love, joy, peace, and my workplace had love, joy, peace, and the Congress had love, joy, peace, And the White House had love, joy, peace. And everyone had love, joy, peace. There'd be no problems in the entire world. Love. Love like Christ love. Love like don't hold grudges love. Love like truly care about my neighbor more than I care about myself love. Love that can forgive 70 times seven love. That's the kind of love that comes when you have the fruit of the spirit. Joy joy is not just happy joy means a supernatural ability to be up optimistic smiling in the way i will describe it a smile on my face and a smile in my heart no matter what the circumstances may be you know somebody you know somebody who has this kind of joy maybe you've been on a mission trip in africa okay and you've seen people who had nothing but had this kind of joy maybe you know someone in your family maybe you know someone in the church someone who has this kind of joy You meet somebody with this kind of joy and your instantaneous reaction is they must be on something. And I'm telling you what they're on is Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit of God. That's where these people get this from. Peace. Can I say honest? Nobody get offended? Peace. from The Holy Spirit. Some of us need a prescription for peace. And I'm telling you, the Spirit wants to give us peace free of charge, no insurance, no copay, no nothing. And you see the rest of the list. Patience, which is long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what I say is, what I said a minute ago is, what you want, what God wants, is a lot closer than you think. Stop assuming that when I say, what does God want, that there's a competing agenda that what God wants is opposed to what I want. And ultimately, if I do what God wants, I'm gonna end up in a miserable place. Unfortunately, that's the state of many people today. No, 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 enough with that God stuff because if I do what God wants, I'm gonna end up as a miserable person, a lonely person, all by myself person. I will agree with you that what God wants is in opposition with what you want. But a minute ago, you agreed with me that what you want is in opposition with what you want. And most of the time, what you are saying I want right now is ultimately, or is that opposition with what you want ultimately. So why, when God agrees with you, why does he get a bad reputation? Why is he such a meanie? Why is it always God wants to ruin my life? Nothing could be further from the truth. And I will prove it to you right now. We will play a little game. We will do a little exercise. And it's based on a book I read. A book that has sold more than 25 million copies. It was written in the year 1988. Let's go back in time to the year 1988. I know some people in this room probably weren't alive or maybe in diapers, but I was in the glory years of my life, middle school. And in middle school in 1988 in seventh grade, let's go back in time. Most popular movies in 1988 were Coming to America, Die Hard and the classic of classics, one of my favorites. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Top shows in the year 1988. Anyone want to guess? Roseanne was at the top of the list. This is the year that A Different World came out. Remember, Different World, spinoff from The Cosby Show. And my personal favorite show of all shows started in 1988. Wonder Years. Y'all remember Wonder Years? It was a great show. Okay, how about songs? Music people. Top songs in 1988. I'll say the song. Tell me if you remember who who said it. Don't Worry, Be Happy Bye. Bob no, not that one, huh? Bobby McFerrin, very good. How about this one? Red, red wine. You be 40, showing how old you are, there you go. And then this one, the classic, which is very spiritual. When I say the title, you'll see it's a very spiritual title. Every rose has its thorn, bye. Not Guns and Roses, very good. That's Sweet Child of Mine that came out that year, but what is, no, close, begins with a P. Poison, come on. That's a very spiritual song, by the way. Every rose has... Let that be ringing in the background, okay? Every rose has a thorn. Throughout the rest of my message right here. But it's also the year, more importantly, as great as those things were, it's the year that this book came out. And this book is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I'm sure people in this room have read this book. Raise your hand if you've read this book before. Okay, so not everybody's read it, but it's a fantastic book. It's not a spiritual book, okay? It's written by a guy named Stephen Covey, and it's a... I don't know what you call it, self-help, whatever, powerful lessons of personal change. In this book, this book did something in my life, changed something in my way of thinking about life by an exercise that it did in the very, very beginning of the book, and I want to share that with you together. It says the following. In your mind's eye, first it opens this chapter by saying, you know, get away from distraction and and turn off the cell, well, they didn't have cell phones back then, but it says, just get to a, a private place and focus on this next exercise. In your mind's eye, see yourself going to a funeral of a loved one. Picture yourself driving to the funeral parlor or chapel, parking the car and getting out. As you walk inside the building, you notice the flowers, the soft organ music. You see the faces of friends and family you pass along the way. You feel the shared sorrow of losing the joy of having known that radiates from the hearts of the people there. As you walk to the front of the room and look inside this casket, you suddenly come face to face with yourself. This is your funeral three years from today. All these people have come to honor you, to express feelings of love and appreciation for your life. As you take a seat and wait for the service to begin, you look at the program in your hand, there to be four speakers, The first is from your family, immediate and also extended children, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, aunts, uncles, cousins, and grandparents who have come from all over the country to attend. The second speaker is one of your friends, someone who can give a sense of what you were as a person. The third speaker is from your work or profession, and the fourth is from your church or some community organization where you've been involved in service. Now think deeply. What would you like each of these speakers to say about you and your life? What kind of husband, wife, father, mother would you like their words to reflect? What kind of son or daughter or cousin? What kind of friend? What kind of working associate? What character would you like them to have seen in you? What contributions, what achievements would you want them to remember? Look carefully at the people around you. What difference would you like to have made in their lives? And then it says, before you read further, take a few minutes to jot down your impressions. I'll be honest, I read books a lot. I like to read. And anytime you get to that part in the book where it says, you know, put this book down and take a couple minutes to really pray about it or whatever it is, I never do that. Okay, because yeah, 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 I've been there, done that. Like I never do that stuff. But this actually made me think. And this actually led me, actually later on in the chapter, I brought the quote right here. He concludes this exercise by saying this. He says, if you carefully consider what you wanted to be said of you in the funeral experience, which we just did, you will find your definition of success. If you carefully consider what you want to be said of you in that little game we just played, you will find your definition of success. I like accomplishments. I like building stuff. I like getting stuff done. I like moving ahead. I like there's a problem and let's truck our way through it. I like seeing the world a certain way and then saying what it could be if we all locked arms and we did something. I like future, I like focus ahead, I like, to make, I like to see and make change in the world. But there's a problem. When I played this little game, none of the people, when I played this game, went up there and said, he was really good at accomplishing stuff. He was really good at checking stuff off his to-do list. Nobody said that. Nobody said he was really, 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 really good at locking arms and just making stuff happen in the world. That's not what my wife said. That's not what my children said. That's not what my parents said. That's not what people who knew me said. No one said that. No one was focused on like, you know what? This guy was the fastest communion giver in the whole wide world. Like no one was focused on how efficient, how effective, no one cared about any of that stuff. What mattered was my character. What I wanted people to say about me had nothing to do with what I had accomplished had everything to do with who I was that led me to this paradigm shift which has carried me to this day success is about who I am not what I've done success is about who I am not what I've done I know this is strange for a priest to say you wouldn't imagine like I'm not a people person you say but you're a priest and I say I know how ironic that is I'm not a people person I'm a task person. I'm, an accompli- I'm not a relationship guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a get stuff done guy. This is why, by the way, I don't think I'm very good as a counselor. I know you'll say, no, you're gra- very kind. Of you. I'm not. You know why? Because I'm future focused. Counseling needs to be past focused. I'm not past. I'm future. Someone comes to say, you know, this and this happened. And, you know, I'm struggling with this. Uh, every, every piece of me wants to be like, my goodness, that sounds awful. You need to stop that right away. You need to get away from that. Like that's me, okay? I'm 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 future. I'm 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 like you know. I don't want to dwell in the past. Like I want to make change and I want to do stuff and fix stuff. But you know what I realized? It's success for me is not the stuff that I build, is not the stuff that I accomplish. Success for me is who I am, who my wife says I was as a person. She's wanting to know me the best. Who my kids who live with me day in and day out? Like, y'all see me once a week on Sunday. Say, Father Anthony's very kind. That's very nice. I appreciate that. But I want the little people who live in my house who see me every single day, who see me in the morning and at night, who see me when I had coffee and hadn't had coffee, to say the same thing. Success, after this little exercise, became less about what I've done and more about who I am as a person. I said earlier that you'll never know what you want, what you really want till you discover what you value. Let me change that. You'll never really know what you want until you discover who you value. And after this exercise, I did something that to this day guides about everything that I do that's important in life. Anytime I make goals, anytime I make decisions, anytime I look ahead at my life, it is guided by a decision that I made this single day, which is I broke my life down into seven relationships. I have seven relationships in life and it guides everything I do. When I set my goals, I think in these seven relationships. When I choose what books I wanna read, these seven relationships. When I think about vacation, like everything, these seven relationships. And the seven relationships, these are just mine. I'm not saying that for you, but I'm saying for me. I have seven hats that I wear, seven relationships that matter to me. My first and primary relationship is with God. And that relationship is defined by me as child of God. I am a child of God first and foremost, that supersedes everything else. Second, I have a relationship with my wife. I'm a husband to my wife, that's number two. Number three, I'm a father to my children. Michael and Lizzie, they're the third on the list. There's God, wife, and then there's the children. And I want to make sure that that role as a father. Number four, I am a friend. And I put friend to my friends as well as my extended family, like my parents, cousins, brother, whatever it may be, okay? I have a relationship with them as a friend that goes to friends and family. I'm a priest, Slash leader, and watch how I break this apart. I say I'm a priest slash leader to this local church family, and that's my work. Okay, that's my job. Okay, that's what I do. Is is how I can lead this congregation and how I can build this church and this local ministry right here. But then I have a seventh one, and that's an I'm an I'm an ambassador. And that's to the entire world. I have a relationship with the entire world, even beyond this church family, with the guy in the Starbucks, with the people on the other side of the world who sent me an email saying, I love you, Father Anthony. I have a relationship to them. That is as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. Everything I do in life is based on these seven roles. I figure out what books I want to read. I want to make sure I'm bouncing these seven roles. What's my measure of success? These seven roles. I got to make sure that one of them may be great. It may be the best priest and leader in the whole wide world. But if I fail as an ambassador, I'm a failure. And I may be the best father, but if I fail as a husband, I need to make sure in these seven roles that I, this is my definition of success. And it's also my definition of failure as well when I came up with it. You is your focus on accomplishment or on character, on what you do or who you are as a person. Now, again, I'm not against accomplishment, okay? Again, me by my nature, like I like accomplishment. And St. Paul, who talked about the fruit of the spirit and love, joy, peace. St. Paul must've been a fluffy poetry. No, he went, St. Paul was Mr. Accomplishment. St. Paul started all the churches that you see around the world today. He wrote half of the New Testament. He preached more places, went all over the lady. He didn't have a cup of coffee, once in his life to even help St. Paul was Mr. Accomplishment. But what he said is this, is that the goal was never the accomplishment. The goal is who I am, and the accomplishments, those are icing on the cake. Now, ready for the real kicker? Ready for the real kicker? Everyone ready? Here comes the real kicker. Beginning, I told you what you want, what God wants, a lot closer than you think. And then we went through this little exercise, and we started to see what is it that we really want. And we said, you know what, what we really want is less about that job actually more about who I am so you know if I get the job or don't get the job I want to be a better dad and it's less about you know what whether you know I can get back with this boy or with this girl you know that's great and all but you know what what I really need I I need to get my relationship with God as a daughter or son of God like I need to get that in order that that's really what I want more than that like I want what I really value is that here comes the kicker when I define success when I looked at what success is to me, and when you look at success is to you, you will discover that it's exactly what God wants for you. Let's go back to our list of what God wants. The fruit of the spirit. This is what God wants. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do I want to be known as, I said, let's leave God aside. Let's say wife. How do I want to be known as a husband? I wanna be love, joy, peace. I want to be long-suffering, kindness, goodness. I want to be faithful and gentle. Like, there it is. There's the definition of what I will be successful if I accomplish this with my wife. What do I want to be with my children? What do I want to look like? What do I want them to say at my funeral? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithful faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If my children say that on my funeral, I will say I'm a success. What do I want the people at my work to say about me? What do I want my neighbors to say about me? What is it that I value? It's love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know how I know this is what you want? You know how I know this is what you want? Because this is what you want of everyone around you. This is what you want from your neighbor. This is what you want from your coworker. This is what you pray one day your boss that God would have mercy on his soul and do this to you. This is what you want your daughter to marry. This is who you want your son to be, his father-in-law to be like this. This is who you want around you because this is what you value. And this is the measure of success in your life. Love, joy, peace. Long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, and it's exactly what God wants for you. Do you see? What God wants and what you want are a lot closer than you realize. Reason why is I told you all last week, or I think it was first week, something I'll say to the day I die. I'll repeat this everywhere I go. What God really wants isn't something from us, but rather for us. What God wants. This is why I say God. What God wants for you, and you start to have like a panic attack because it's always about what does God want from us? We make God like the principal of the school or make God like the CEO of the company. I want you to do this. I want you that like the slave master, like, you know, giddy up. You know what I mean? Like as he's whipping us as we're like, what does God want from us? What does God want from us? If God wants anything from us, God don't want anything from us. What God wants is stuff for us. And when you start to dig deep inside, I promise you, you start to dig deep inside. What do you really really want out of life. You start to hit words like, I want significance out of life. I want purpose. I want meaning. I want that word that I talked about two weeks ago. I want legacy. That's what I really want. And when you look at those words like that, and you go deep, deep, deep inside, you will discover that's exactly what God wants for you as well. You cannot, you cannot look deeply at what you really want without coming face-to-face with the will of God for your life. The deeper you search inside as to what you value, what you really want, the more you come face-to-face with the will of God for you. Once upon a time when Jesus was roaming the earth, his disciples came to him and asked him about prayer. They said, Jesus, you taught us a lot of things. Teach us how to pray. In the Old Testament, they had lots of different ways to pray. The priests would pray this and people prayed, but people... Teach us how to pray. We all know how to pray. That was Matthew chapter six. And they, Jesus said, responded to them. He said, therefore, in this manner, pray. And what did he say after that? But he taught them how to pray. He said, in this manner, therefore, pray. Our father in heaven. Our father. An expression we take for granted. Our father. We say our father all the time, without any meaning. Let me tell you something. This word father, when Jesus said it, to his disciples and all those who are in earshot, that when you pray to God, you say, Father, was a radical, mind-blowing idea. Do you know that in the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, which is two-thirds of the Bible, you pick up a Bible like this, two-thirds of it is the Old Testament. In the entire Old Testament, how many times is God referred to as Father? Seven. Seven times over the course of thousands of years, does the scripture point to God as father? What instead it's creator, it's master, it's Lord, it's Yahweh, it's the almighty, that's who God is. Seven times in thousands of years, it said God, call him father. You know, in this chapter, Matthew seven alone, Jesus used the word father seven times in this chapter alone. And you know, in all the New Testament gospels, the you know many times the word father is used to refer to God? hundred and fifty. Why? Because what Jesus is doing truly is mind-blowing. He's telling you that Almighty, that Creator, who you cringe and you fear, and you are afraid to go near the mountain because you may get smitten down with something, and you are afraid that thou shalt not this and shalt not that and speak not that, that you are afraid of that God. He says, let me tell you, I come from God. I'm from above. And let me tell you how you refer to the Almighty. You call him father, and actually, you no, know, father is not even a very good, accurate uh, translation. Father is what we use, okay? But the word in Greek or Aramaic would be ava, okay, abba, abba or ava, which means a more literal translation of ava. You know what it is? It's papa, okay? You call the Almighty papa or daddy. It's a very much a term of endearment. It's not a you know father. You know what I mean? Like yes, sir. It's not. It's not like a that. If you call the one who holds the heavens and the earth, the one who you're terrified of, that he could smite you down like he did Sodom and Gomorrah, you sit on his lap, put your arm around his neck, and you say, Papa. Let me ask you this. You already know the answer to this, but let me just ask you. Does a good father, emphasis on the word good, does a good father want anything from his children? You may have seen a father or a mother, who wants something from their children. And it's sickening. It makes you sick to your stomach. You see it sometimes in sports leagues, of the the coach with the the, the ego, okay? And he needs something from his kid, or he's trying to extract something from children. You see it, I don't want to say where you see it from. Maybe some of us, okay, we grew up in difficult situations. Our parents wanted something from us. But you inherently know when you see that, something is sickening about that that a parent who brings a child into the world to get something from them. The minute me and Marianne decided to be parents, once you put, once you say, I'm into parents, you decide that you are not wanting anything from, you're for, because as a parent, your life is for, that all you are is for that child, and to feed that child, and to clothe that child, and to care for that child, and there's gonna be a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff for that child before you get anything back in return. And some people have calculated the actual cost that you will pay for that child, And it's upwards of $2 million is what they say. So think twice, okay, before you go for children, but whatever. No good father wants anything from his children. We don't send our kids invoices for the food they eat. A good father only wants things for. One of the things that breaks my heart, breaks your heart too. If you see a child who's an orphan who has no father to guide him, or a father he can't trust, and you see a child who's on their own, and they don't have anyone they can go to for advice. I feel bad for them because I had the best dad who was always there for me and took care of me, and anything I needed, I'd go to my dad, even still to this day. You feel bad for someone who doesn't have that, doesn't have a father, but you know what's worse? What's even worse than someone who doesn't have a father? Someone who has a great father, but doesn't trust him. Someone who has a father who will give their life for that child. But the child has been poisoned. Think they can't trust their dad. That's worse, because that's an opportunity squandered. That's a child like the orphan is living on his own and you feel bad, but the one who has a great dad living on his own, tragedy. That's how I feel spiritually when I see people who resist the will of God and what God wants Thinking that God is trying to hurt them. Because you have a great dad. You have a great papa. A great daddy who wants nothing from you, only stuff for you. But the question is can you go to your heavenly father and you say, Ava, papa, I want what you want? Or you unfortunately don't trust. Trust me, you're a lot closer to wanting what God wants for you than you realize. You're a lot closer. To what you want and what God wants are a lot closer than you realize. And by the way, this has nothing to do with Christian non-Christian. What I'm saying applies to someone who's not Christian as well. Someone who out there is not Christian, don't believe in God. I know what he wants on the inside because he's made in the image of God as well. And what I'm saying to that person, if anyone's listening or anyone's right here, and you say, I don't believe in God, well, I tell you that what you really want and inside is exactly it's a lot closer to what God wants than you realize. If you don't believe it, that's fine, but I tell you that's the truth. This is not a Christian thing. This is a human being thing. But the only way to get it, the only way to get it, the love, joy, peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, the only way to get what you want is to see that God really wants it for you, and then life takes on new meaning. And now all of a sudden those commands in the Bible, don't look the same. It's not a from us, it's a for us. Now all of a sudden the church, when the church tells us this, it's not a from us, it's a for us. And now all of a sudden, when I'm, when I'm hearing that sermon and saying this, it's not a from us, it's a for us. And that's when you truly discover not just what God really wants, but what you really want as well. And the two will line up right in front. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that you love us and you want nothing from us, but only stuff for us. Lord, cleanse our minds and free us from like all the the, the bad thoughts that are in there that make us not trust you and make us think that you're trying to, to trick us or you're trying to deceive us in some way from getting what we really, really want. We know, Lord, that we don't know what we want and we know that the stuff that we want really isn't what we want. We, Lord, today, we trust in you and we pray that you would help us to fight those tempting thoughts which tell us not to trust in you and that you're not good for us. I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith, especially anyone today who's struggling, who's struggling to know that what you want for them is the best. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a special, special, special grace today, Lord, that you'd free them from this, this deception from the evil one. I pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with the prayers of all of your saints, hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully